0: Breaking the chains of generational trauma. My name is Andrea and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we take a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. And today, we are diving deep, or rather, diving deeper into the generational nature of family dysfunction. We have talked about this all throughout the pod, and it is such an important concept to the adult child topic at large how the disease of family dysfunction does not just pop out of nowhere, how this shit gets passed from generation to generation, how our parents aren't evil, but just a product of their own dysfunctional upbringing, and how we will pass our shit onto the next generation if we don't heal our shit. So today, I want to go a little bit deeper and talk about epigenetics. I am hoping that your eyes did not just roll over, but epigenetics has been a buzzword as of late, and it is... The study of how your behavior and environment can cause external modifications to your genetics. Now, these modifications do not actually change our genetics, but they change how our cells read our genetics. They change how we express our genetics. Now, what the hell does that mean? No fucking clue. (laughs) But I think what we need to understand for the purpose of our conversation here is that our behavior and environment can cause alterations to our genetics and then these modified genetics can then be passed on to future generations. And trauma is one of these environmental factors that can cause these modifications. Now, research over the past 5 to 10 years has shown that you can actually carry symptoms of trauma in your life that you didn't even experience. Not just emotionally and psychologically, but also genetically that trauma from past generations can impact us on a biological molecular level. Now, there was a super interesting study. The results came out in 2016, but it looked at the genetics of Holocaust survivors and their children, and they compared this to the genetics of Jewish parents who lived outside of Europe during World War II and their children. And the researchers were focused on one particular gene, the 5KBP5 gene, a stress gene that is linked to PTSD, depression, mood, and anxiety disorders. And what they found was that there were epigenetic markings on the very same part of the gene in both the Holocaust survivors and their children, but that the same correlation was not found in the control group and their children. Now there is a super interesting book by Mark Wolin. It's called, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who You Are and How to End the Cycle. And he does a much better job of explaining all this than I just did. So I highly recommend you check it out. I've also been bugging him. I'm hoping to get him on for a future episode. But the overall message of the book is that healing is not only about looking at your own trauma that you've experienced, but also about looking at the trauma endured by prior generations. And that is exactly what today's guest has done, Naomi Bradshaw. Not only is she a singer, songwriter, blog writer, adult child, she is an expert historian on the generational trauma that has occurred within her own lineage. She has done some serious digging, y'all. Like she's gone back 250 years and she is gonna tell us all about it and everything that she's learned. But one more topic I want to quickly discuss before we chat with her and that is aces. And shame on me for not bringing this up before. It's been referenced in several episodes. It comes up again in my conversation with Naomi, but I realize I haven't fully experienced Explained it. um, And I was reminded of that when I received a message from a listener asking me, What the hell are aces? So ACEs stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, which means stressful or traumatic events occurring before the age of 18. And the term comes from a study that was conducted by the CDC and Kaiser in the late 90s, the ACE study, a study everyone needs to fucking know about. And the purpose of it was to examine the correlation between childhood experiences and lifelong health. The study included 17,000 participants, mostly middle-class and college-educated, and they were questioned on their general overall health, as well as if they had experienced 10 different types of trauma during their childhood, five of which were personal. Did you experience physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical neglect, or emotional neglect? And five were related to other family members. Did you grow up with a parent who was an alcoholic or an addict? Did you have a family member that suffered from mental illness? Did you have a family member that was incarcerated? Did you have a mother who was a victim of domestic abuse or the disappearance of a parent through divorce, death or abandonment? Now, the study found that out of the 17,000 participants, two-thirds had experienced at least one ACE, 40% had experienced two or more, and 12.5% had experienced four or more. 28% had experienced physical abuse, 21% had experienced sexual abuse, and 19% had grown up with a parent who suffered from mental illness. And the research also showed a strong correlation between ACEs and mental health and physical health issues. Essentially, the higher your ACE score, the higher your risk of health and social problems. And research since then has shown how having a high ACE score increases one's risk for seven out of the 10 leading causes of death in the U.S. and can even shorten a person's lifespan up to 20 years. So uplifting, right? I'm so happy to brighten your day with these fun facts. But in all honesty, ignorance is not bliss when it comes to the disease of family dysfunction, when it comes to trauma. We all need to know about this. Knowledge is key. Awareness is the first step to change. Check out the show notes. I've included a link to an ACE quiz so you can figure out your own ACE score. And here's the good news. There are steps that we can take to mitigate the impact that ACEs have had on us to improve both our mental and our physical healths, as well as minimize the impact to future generations. So now for my conversation with Naomi, and please stick around to the end of the episode because I will be sharing a little bit about my recent experience of being on the Dr. Drew podcast.
1: In my bed, trying to stop these demons that keep dancing dancing in my head. Down with disease, and I'm up before the dawn.
0: The truth of the matter, my dear shit, shows is that there is a huge overlap in those of us who grew up in a dysfunctional family and those of us who are suffering from ADHD. I myself got diagnosed with ADHD about a year ago and getting this diagnosis and treating this diagnosis has made such a difference in my productivity and getting shit done. Now let me tell you about Done. Done is an online ADHD care platform where you can get all the resources you need to help manage your ADHD. Take a free 1-minute assessment and book an appointment with a licensed ADHD clinician as soon as the next day. Get continuous care, one-click refills, insurance coverage, and 24/7 care team support with Done for just $79 a month and pharmacy copays as low as $0. Visit slash podcast to learn more. Again, that slash get.donefirst.com/podcast done. Turn ADHD into your strength. Well, it is my pleasure to introduce singer, songwriter, blog writer, fellow adult child, fellow survivor, Naomi Bradshaw. And You found me on TikTok. And this has truly been the biggest blessing and gift of this podcast is just connecting with people. And I'm so grateful that our paths crossed. And I'm super excited to get to chat with you
1: today and well, thank you for having me and yay for TikTok that we found each other. <laughs> Who knew? I thought it was just kids dancing.
0: <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> so you just made a comment to me prior to us starting to record about how you and I both started our healing journey around the same time about three years ago. And, and you said that there was a little bit of a difference. And so I was hoping that you could make that comment to the uh, listeners.
1: Yes. Well, I realized when I listened to your first uh, podcast again, that three years ago, you and I were going through a similar journey in that we realized that the experiences that we went through during our childhood directly were affecting us in that moment. And for myself, it was a little different because I was clearly aware that I had been abused as a child, throughout my whole life, I had told stories. I was in foster care. My husband knew it. My children knew it. People knew it, but I had never processed any of the emotions. I just had this story and like, I'm a survivor, but I didn't do any of the work. And I feel like, you know, with you, it was different because it was a surprise to you that what you went through as a child affected you. So I noted that difference.
0: Yep. Yep. And did you, were you always able to easily talk about your experiences or was it something that you were private about?
1: Uh, It would be something that I might talk about uh, when I was drinking, you know, in a moment with some friends, you know, when you're drunk, you know, who wants to drink with me, right? What a downer. (laughs) The word got out, no. And it would always be me as a victim. And that that's something that I definitely note now as somebody who's healed, the difference in my mentality, the difference in how I tell my story. And that's why the blog was so instrumental in my healing is because I could see myself and where I actually fit in the story, you know, not from a juvenile point of view as a victim, but from a healed person that is mature and understands that their parents were flawed individuals that did the best they could, but it fell horribly short. I'm not responsible for what happened to me, but I am responsible for healing myself so I don't hurt other people like they hurt me.
0: Yeah, we're the only ones that can do anything about it. Our parents, our family members, they can't do the work to, to heal us. It's, it's all on us. So you started doing EMDR work, what, three, about three years ago?
1: Yes, because the way I found out about it was um, I was having a really hard time staying sober after getting a DUI, my second DUI five years ago. I kept trying to get sober, getting my chip at AA and then having to go back again, eat humble pie, you know, and uh, I was frustrated with myself. My family was frustrated with me. And, And the question would often be, what's wrong with you? you know? So coincidentally, I was walking through the living room and Oprah Winfrey was on a program talking to a doctor on 60 minutes. Yeah,
0: doctor Perry.
1: Yes. And so I ha- happened upon that program and they were talking about the ACE test. And right then and there we paused the program and my husband and I took the 10 question ACE test as it was presented on that program. And it became clear right away that our brains work differently because he got a one, and I got a nine. Wow. <laughs> so it was like, a, like all of a sudden, oh, an epiphany, you know, it, it blew our minds because uh, up to that point, wasn't really clear why I was behaving the way I was behaving. And that gave us a clue. But the program was over and they didn't say what the cure was. And I was like, hey. I don't want to die 20 years earlier than anybody. What the hell? So I went online and I'm like, how not to die 20 years earlier? <laughs> you know? And then EMDR was like the number one cure. So I went on my insurance plan and lo and behold, a therapist in my area who did EMDR could take me. So that's when I went on that journey. And I'm so grateful that changed everything because I could not stop drinking And I had to go through a year of therapy once a week and I was still drinking in that first blog of mine. I'm wrestling my teenager in the backyard, (laughs) clearly not healed, but something about that was the breaking point. And then the next day I doubled up on the therapy and it seemed that that was what uh, got me over that. I don't know. There was like a, a, some kind of a bump I had to get over to get over to true healing. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad I did.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that a lot too, because you know I truly feel like I had my uh, true adult child bottom January of 2018, but then about a month later, I get back together with Brian number two. But at that point I was seeing my therapist twice a week and it was like, I had to go through about five months of continuing to date him, even though I didn't really want to, but then healing and growing and reprocessing and rewiring to where I got to the point where I was able actually go away. So very similar to kind of what you're talking about. So I remember when I did EMDR with my therapist and she told me, she said, you're not going to walk out of here feeling like a completely changed woman, like right after we have this session. And what she told me was that that could happen if the trauma that you're reprocessing had been fairly recent. So if it was something recently that had occurred that you might really notice a huge difference after we do this session. But she said, it's going to be more so that over time, over the next few months, you're going to slowly start noticing a difference in your thinking. So I was wondering, what was your experience with that?
1: Uh, Well, one thing I have noticed more than anything is even though I haven't been to EMDR for quite some time, I'm still getting benefits and growing as a person because the way my therapist explained it was like a highway has a traffic jam and none of the cars can move, but then one car will get off the ramp and that it'll cause movement to happen, and that that's what happens, you know, even after the sessions are over. I have another therapist that I'm starting again, because I'm going to be writing some tough stuff coming up, and I anticipate, you know, that I'll I'll need to uh, have some support, so I'm going to do more therapy, but my initial therapy, I didn't really know anything about EMDR, Mm -hmm. except that it was a supposed cure for not dying 20 years early. <laughs> so, but she just did these things with her hands and I didn't even know what was happening. And then she say, what's coming up for you. Yeah. And then I would, in a sense, solve my own problem in a way by reconciling myself currently with the person from the past mm-hmm. is how I describe it. It's so weird. And so then I read the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk after two years of EMDR therapy. And it I was like, oh, now I understand what happened. Um, you've been kind of a, t- a detective in your
0: healing journey in two senses, right? The first is understanding what it is that you went through. And then after that, it was trying to figure out a little bit more about your, your family history, your genealogy. But So why don't you first talk a little bit about what it is that you've done to try to better make sense of your childhood experiences and what happened to you. Did you, did you have many memories of childhood? Were you somebody that dissociated a lot and didn't have a lot of memories? Cause I'm somebody that I pretty much remember everything, but there's a ton of children out there who have very little memories of what happened to them.
1: Right. yeah, And I've met both people because talking to survivors really gives you a sense of, of the different, the, the spectrum that exists, you know, one, one extreme or the other. For me, it was a little of both. I have these stories uh, and I would be unaware of the inappropriate nature of the stories. <laughs> like when you're telling a story and then the audience gets a look on their face like, oh, Well, that was inappropriate for someone to do in front of a child, you know, and you're just, at first I wouldn't get it, but I just was always compelled since the first time that someone touched me inappropriately when I was five, I always was trying to talk. I've always been a talker. So part of me was always trying to tell somebody and get some help. So being a writer, a songwriter at first, and now being a writer of my blog, it really does fit my personality, because I was always trying to come to terms with what was happening. But when I became an entertainer when I was 18, that's when I just pretended like, you know what? I'm healed from that. Look at what I have done. I've survived this terrible childhood. And now I am this fabulous singer. I am a star at the Holiday Inn.
0: Hell yeah! (laughs) (laughs)
1: And I had, you know, and it worked for as long as it did. It it worked. It it gave me a a self-worth. It made me feel good about myself to put wigs and costumes on and and people to tell me I was wonderful. It gave me that sense of self-esteem, but it was only temporary. And so I was, you know, acting out at home. You know, people in the audience would say, oh, she's so great. And then at home, I'm screaming and yelling and drunk and you know, crying and not fun to be around at all. And that affected my children. And that's how dysfunction continues. People say, oh, broke the chain. And I'm like, you know what? I would like to take that credit, but I did not break the chain. I noticed that the chain was screwed up and now I'm going to repair my link. And when my children are ready, I can help them repair their link by admitting my part. And offering, you know, my presence and my, my healing as much as I can. if they want to forgive me, that's up to them. You know, I know it's one of the hardest things my own mother was never able to achieve, to admit her shortcomings as a parent. And because of that, she was never able to have a relationship with her children. And now she's in a home with dementia and bipolar. So, and she does, she's never had a relationship with her children. And her tale is of a victim. If you don't get over that victim mentality, you will not heal. And I learned that from watching my mother. So, you know, she was not there as I was growing up. So that's why I started to look at her side of the family. But my genealogy pursuit started when I got put in foster care at at 13. And I wanted to find my dad's mother because he found out he was adopted right before he put me in foster care.
0: How did he find that (laughs) out?
1: What I recall is that we were in the car as they did back then. They just left children in the car and then the parents would go into a building and just leave you out there for hours at a time. <laughs> and, well, at least my parents did. Uh, and so uh, we were out there and I remember hearing my grandmother crying and she lived in a little trailer and uh, she was widowed and she was sitting in, in there and crying. I heard crying. I heard yelling. And then my dad came out and my stepmom, they got in the car and I pretended I was asleep. And I heard what happened, and it was that my stepmother questioned my grandma. She was like, what do you mean you don't remember childbirth? Every mother knows what happened during the process of her child being born in some capacity, whether it was I was knocked out or not. And so they pressured grandma until she told them, I confess, we forged the birth certificate. I'm not your mother. I'm your stepmother. Your real father, who is now dead, was your grandfather. And that woman, Gertrude, that we all called your spinster aunt, well, that was your mother. That's your mother. So there was a picture that I saw, and then I was sent away. So I had this, uh, this da- I just couldn't get it out of my mind, her picture. <laughs> I had to find her. So did your dad know who she was? He knew her as the spinster aunt. A figure that really wasn't in his life, but he knew what her name was, but he thought it was his aunt. Okay. But her picture is very mournful. I remember when I first saw it, it's a black and white photograph, and she's got really pouty lips and just a beautiful face, and it was just such a mysterious photograph. And then to be separated from my family at that time, it just ignited a curiosity within me that I, I have to this day, I have, I mean, I could be a forensic genealogist. <laughs> I have an undying curiosity uh, to find out these things. And it used to manifest itself predominantly in trying to find uh, dead people, you know, but now that I wrote my story, I started turning my attention to the living, mm-hmm. the people that were the ones who survived the trauma just like me, my second cousins, my first cousins. So you were
0: brought into foster care and at that, that was at 13, you had grown up in New Hampshire at that point. But then when you went into the foster care system, you went to live in Florida, correct?
1: No, actually my parents got divorced when I was five. Okay. My mom became a gypsy because she lost custody and she just traveled the country singing and doing whatever she was doing. My father moved to Florida and got remarried. And so my father ended up being a worse choice as a parent than my mother, which is not really saying much for either parent. (laughs) It was a really bad decision for any judge to make. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) But I survived, (laughs) but I, yeah, so, I didn't know about New Hampshire. I just remember it from being five years old. And prior to making this more recent trip up
0: to New Hampshire, what had you discovered about Gertrude?
1: Well, yes, actually, I found Gertrude. I found her in 2002. uh, And I found her in California with five children, which meant that my estranged, at the time, father did not know about the fact that he had Five half siblings. siblings. So I thought I need to tell my dad this information. I have to get the, even if we don't have a relationship, uh, it is not morally right for me to keep this to myself. Now, little did I know that the body keeps the score and that I would try to reenact, you know, make the trauma reenact my situation. And that is what I did. I, I wrote to my dad. He said, although we've had a significant impasse, And then I let him back in. (laughs) If I was healed, I would not, I would have said significant impasse. Is that what you're calling putting me in foster care so that nobody would know that you tried to molest me and that you beat me and uh, beat my my brothers and starved us and really messed our heads up for a decade? Is that what we're calling a significant impasse dad? But I didn't. And uh, I was still an alcoholic that was untreated. And still an adult child that was untreated. And so my dad was in my life for 15 years until I got the guts and two years of EMDR therapy helped to finally cut him off December 2019, which gave me the strength to start my blog and talk about what happened to me as a kid. Amazing. So did you ever connect? Did you ever talk to Gertrude? I never did, my, but my father, so get this, after I do all the work, I give like a little puppy, I, I give it to my dad, then he flies out there and meets wow. everybody
0: Wow! without
1: me. <laughs> I know, I think about it now and I'm like, golly, Naomi, why didn't you stand up for yourself? But it's just, my issues are, it's, when I say self-esteem, I don't even think that begins to scratch the surface. I didn't learn to drive a car until I was 30 because I really, truly did not believe I was capable of doing that. And that's just a small, I mean, I am so codependent. You know, when I went on this trip to New Hampshire, it was a big deal that I booked it myself. I rented a car for the first time. I'm 55 years old. I stayed in a cabin alone without, and I wasn't anxious. And I didn't drink. And you know what I mean? For me to say this, if somebody is listening and they are not an adult child or they are not an alcoholic, they might see me or my website and say, wow, look at her. She looks like she has it together. You know, but the truth is that there's a lot of people like me and you out there that look like they have it together on the surface, but inside they are dying and they're struggling, you know? So that's why I started talking mm-hmm. about this stuff. Cause I felt like if somebody could get healing sooner than age 50, <laughs> cause that's when I started then, wow. Think of how much better their lives could be and society mm-hmm. could be.
0: So before we move on to your trip, did what did your dad tell you about his visit out to California?
1: There's something about my father is that he has a flat affect. Uh, we never talked about anything. Uh, our exchanges were always pretty brief mm-hmm. and surface. Um, and, and usually involved me trying to impress him. You know, at the beginning of our reconnection, uh, I presented him with a song that I wrote. And well, he's clearly, now I know he's a narcissist, but I didn't know it back then. <laughs> and the song is called Maybe Someday You'll Look My Way you know, (laughs) and we'll have that conversation. You'll look at me, apologize, and the pain that's inside us will die. My dad said, that's a magnificent composition. Of course he did. (laughs) Because it was, you know, about him being magnified and glorified and about me being subservient. So now I realize those responses And, you know, the sickness that I had back then, but because I've done this genealogy, genealogically work, because I have done this work, I'm able to understand why he did things he did. You know, I, I maybe can't fathom why anybody would hurt a child, but I can understand, okay, this was done to him. His journey was that he didn't find a permanent caregiver until... He was two and a half years old. And from what I've learned, at certain stages of development, if you don't receive certain things, you'll have deficits. And during the ages from zero to three, it's really important for empathy. And that's what my dad lacks. He he and I never actually had a normal relationship. It was mostly just Me being a a kid trying to get dad to love her, you know, and when I finally realized by looking at a letter he wrote me and in black and white, I could see he was just not capable of loving me the way I deserve to be loved. And his role is is to be a dad and to do that. So if he's not capable of doing that, why have him in my life? What purpose? And the answer was no purpose. No, I could not stay sober if I continued to have a, a relationship with him in any capacity. And so I, I severed ties completely December 2019. And honestly, it's I have grown leaps and bounds. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life. And maybe some people might think that's a, a mean thing to say. You know, people have a tendency to say, oh, but it's your only father. <laughs> but if you didn't walk a mile in my shoes, your listeners understand
0: so let's set the stage. You're going up to New Hampshire. Who have you contacted? Who are you planning on meeting with?
1: Well, the person that I'm closest to in the family is my uh, okay. cousin Nicole, and her her mother and my okay. mother are sisters, and they were both put in orphanages and foster homes by my grandmother. And but there's a, a difference between the two of them. Nicole's mother at some point decided her mother was a jerk and she wasn't going to pay attention to her anymore, but my mother never got over the fact that she was put in an orphanage by her mother and would always try to get her mother's love for the rest of her life. She was just always pursuing it. And so that's the big difference. So Nicole was a perfect person to talk to because we both have mothers that are both equally crazy, but I think my mom, was definitely uh, more tormented and her mother was more able to survive in society. Cause my mom ended up homeless and now she's institutionalized. I, I visited her first and she decided not mm-hmm. to have kids and she has a great adventurer's life. She lives up there in New Hampshire all by herself. She has a jeep, you know. She has her own business from home. She can do anything she wants. She goes and gets some buffalo from the farmer cuz she doesn't believe in going to the grocery store. <laughs> so she's like a real renaissance independent woman type of a person. So we're really opposite. <laughs> but we our thing is that we both have compassion and love for each other and understand what it's like to have Uh, a a mom that is an adult child and traumatized. Yeah, so she's the one I knew the most. The other people I visited, I didn't know as well. Uh, They're my second cousins. I got to know them through 23andMe because I did my DNA. Did it for DNA, uh, 23andMe and Ancestry.com because my grandmother lost two children. So I thought that if I had my DNA out there more to more, places that I might cast my net a bit wider to find these individuals that we had not located in an aunt okay. and an uncle. I found the aunt, but the uncle is still at large. If okay. he's still with us, grandma had seven children. She only kept three, the last three. She kind of got it together uh, for a marriage for 12 years and had the lab and that was about it. So, so her, when you talk about my mother's childhood, It's different from the second half of my grandmother's life, you know. So your mother was in the the first three.
0: She was the earlier kids.
1: Yep. She was the first two. Yeah. There were two that were put in orphanages. Then there were two that went that were missing. And then there were three. And those three thought she was normal and didn't know anything about all this stuff that happened. You know, so certain people in the family don't want to talk about stuff, you know. But in New Hampshire, after the pandemic, many people were really eager to talk with me. So, And what's great is I talked to at least a half a dozen people, and this is the second time we've talked to each other in the last three years. So I was able to color the picture in uh, between the official records, which when you go through LDS.org, which is the Mormons, they have all the records they took pick you can look at the actual record in the handwriting from you know 1900 and in what's the trippy is like on my my great-grandfather's record it'll say like reason for divorce adultery <laughs> just like uh, no the Mormons offer these records to Anyone that wants to learn about their family history, you can go to LDS.org or just type in uh, LDS family history and it'll take you right there. And you type in your ancestor's name and you can start learning about people. They have the biggest records collection in the world because I believe that their beliefs have something to do with if you can baptize the people after they die, then they get to be in the kingdom of heaven with you. So they wanna find as many ancestors to post-mortem baptize them. So that's why they're collecting all these records. That's my understanding. Could be wrong, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you start meeting with your second cousin. So go ahead.
1: Well, the first, uh, well, I had a cabin in the woods that I rented. And the first two nights in the cabin, I invited my cousins, Earlene, and Sandy, they're my second cousins. So they're older than me. They're my grandmother. My grandmother had a sister named Ethel, and that was their mom. And their mom, Ethel, was an alcohol- alcoholic, and she abandoned them in an apartment in Boston. They were found alone. Her sister was three, and she was 18 months. Earlene was 18 months. Sandy was three. The two children were found in the apartment in Boston. Uh, this is the story they told me with dead puppies in the bathtub and the younger child Erlene's diaper was stuck on her behind so bad they had to take her to the doctor to, to remove the diaper because the skin yes. and the diaper had become one. So yes. when I tell you, if you even look at my TikTok at all, you'll see me and Sandy and Erlene at the campground wearing fairy wings and tutus dancing. That mm-hmm. makes me so joyful to know that people that have gone through such trauma can come out the other side. They're both in recovery, both sober and dancing with me. And now, I mean, we have a great relationship. We, I, You know what? I, I don't have a mom, but I have Erlene and Sandy. <laughs> and two nights, we just sat there and talked about things and bonded. And it, it just made me feel good that you know, just because our parents did these things to us, our families don't have to scatter to the wind. We can make these bonds and nurture them with the people that get it, you know, because not everybody in the family gets it. You know, Aunt, Aunt Kathleen doesn't want to talk to me. And Nicole had to kind of sneak to see me, you know, not really talk about it with her mom and stuff. You know, that, this is how the family dynamic goes. But I'm the one who's the first person that has stood up and decided to shine a light on these issues, but I'm not doing it in a judgmental way. My whole purpose is to heal. That's it. Not to point fingers and go, you did this, because how would I heal if I still have that resentment? Because the 12 steps, that resentment will trip you up every time, right? I mean, that's one thing when I went to AA, those 12 steps, I thought everybody could learn from that to take accountability for your part in situations, to keep your soul clean of resentment as much as possible. So I I can't afford to have that kind of poison in my head or in my heart. You know, um, I want my dad to eat I just don't want them at my table, right? What is that like Tupac or something? (laughs) It said that on Facebook anyway.
0: (laughs) So you you find out that they're abandoned. So then what else? What else do you well?
1: I learned that uh, what happened with my grandmother and Ethel is the two of them who are from the White Mountains of New Hampshire, a poor logging camp family, dirt floors. Uh, not even a real house, really, surrounded by grown men, loggers. She decided her and Ethel were going to go to the big city in Boston and be in a talent show. And somebody must have whispered in my grandma's ear because I have all these photographs of her with beautiful headdresses and costumes. And somebody put some money into her career, got her these headshots. She had two roommates, Terry Swope and Shirley Devine, and uh, they had a a Learjet that they flew on that belonged to one of the girls' boyfriends, and they did all these uh, gigs throughout the Northeast, and I did some studying. Every blog that I've done, I have to research not only myself, but the other characters. So that's how I got my background for the blog, is through doing all this research for my genealogy. And my grandmother used to tell all these stories. I met her briefly in my 20s. And she would say that she slept with William Shatner. She would say that she was in a band called Four Jacks and a Jill. But that's not true. Uh, Terry Swope, her roommate, was in the band Four Jacks and a Jill because they got sued by Benny Goodman. Benny Goodman's band took Terry Swope away and and she got sued. Newspapers.com tells you all this stuff, you know? (laughs) So my grandmother was just really somebody that was desperately trying to run away from her uh, upbringing and the trauma, but she could not leave that behind. It followed her by her decisions and the pain that she put others through. And I can't point my finger at her either because I know that I hurt people, you know, and that's, what's so healing about the, this kind of work. If, if you think, I think it's called epigenetics, right? I just read Oprah Winfrey's new book and they talk about that in there, you know, To me, I always thought, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if. And when I started really answering that question, the answer is, hell yeah. (laughs) That is so real that the number of alcoholics and mentally ill people um, and what they went through was basically poverty, lack of education. These these were huge factors and maybe some racism way back then because we're dealing with French-Canadians logging people. I mean, they were considered at that time in the 1900s as, you know, outsiders Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. it affected the subsequent generations. I mean, I went back 250 years. So I found the original trauma in it. And that's La Grande Arrangement because I am Acadian. The Acadians were ousted from Nova Scotia in the late 1700s by the English 250 years ago. Uh And those are my people, my whole side on my mom's side, Acadians, which is basically genocide that occurred. And the people that remained were like wandering gypsies. That's trauma. And I found out all this stuff. I've been doing this work, but not really understanding what, where it's leading me. You know, I'm still trying to figure that out, but I'm a singer. I've been for 30 years and I have been offered an opportunity to put together a show. And I have about eight songs. And when I look at the songs, they're all about trauma because I wrote them when I was 35, 20 years ago. And I can see my story in these songs. So I am going to do a one hour show with me talking about my trauma and my story and then singing my original songs that continue the story with a slideshow to show my ancestors and all the peoples Because it's kind of a confusing story. <laughs> so that's my next thing. Because When will that be? Uh, the, show, the show, they want to do that on August 14th. And so I'm going to, now that I'm saying it out loud, that means I'm going to do it. Because we had a meeting. Yes. We picked a date. But a little part of me is scared to death. But it's going to be people that are. It's going to be only for charity. Uh, we're going to connect it to uh, a charity for teenage girls, and it's going to be about a hundred people, and it's going to be mocktails only. And the people people want yes. to go out and they want to see a show so bad. So we're going to try to make it people that we invite that we specifically are keeping in mind that want to help our cause, you know, and can help spread the word about people healing from childhood trauma. I hope there's a way that people can watch it that aren't in the area. Well, I mean, I will definitely, I believe that this, if I'm able to do it successfully, (laughs) will be the beginning of something that will continue. I won't just do it one time. If I, am able to to get through it. The thing I know about myself, because I did five minutes of stand-up comedy a couple of months ago, and I was so petrified that I had index cards in my hand (laughs) to remember the words. And then afterwards, I thought, you know, and I didn't even read them. I just even went off script and just started riffing. I thought, you have to have more faith in yourself, Naomi. So I believe it's going to be spoke like just off the top of my head i know my story and then i'll have to have a live guitar player because i thought about Uh standing there with the slideshow and then you know have it be on a track but then i have to be on that track and if i mess up it'll be like me freaking out in front of everyone not cool (laughs) so yeah so i think it's going to be me and a acoustic guitar player and an intimate storytelling and that's going to be uh which is odd because three years ago I kind of had that idea to do a, a fringe festival show, which is a, a show we have here in Orlando, which is no rules. There's no content Mm -hmm. restrictions you can do or say anything you want. So that was what I was initially going to do is do a fringe festival show. But then I got super insecure and I was like, I'll write a book. And then I started trying to write a book and then I got insecure again. <laughs> and I said, I'll write a blog. <laughs> and I've done that for a year successfully. So it's giving me more courage to revisit the idea of doing the show. So hopefully that, that'll that be enough confidence.
0: I, I was like, I'm going to write a book. Then I'm like, I'm going to write a blog. And then I was like, I'm going to do a podcast. <laughs> That's what stuck for me. So
1: <laughs> Well, your podcast is excellent. It's great. I love it. I'm so glad that I found it. You know, there's a couple lightning bolt moments that I've had in my recovery and, and seeing you on the screen was one of them. It, it really does help you with the, it's like breadcrumbs. You know, I am always looking for new inspiration and new content and people that align with my belief system, you know, because I want to make sure that my world is filled with healthy things, you know, because whatever you consume is is what you become. So I'm really happy that I found your content. It, it really, it does help me, so and glad
0: that you found me too. Yay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: so I want to kind of just put a pretty little bow on your trip up to New Hampshire. What do you, how do you think it impacted you on your own healing journey? Um, how did it impact you? What do you feel like you learned about yourself? Do you view yourself any differently? I mean, what Obviously, it's pretty recent and maybe you don't have an answer to that yet, but um, have there been any key kind of insights?
1: Well, the last day of my trip, I decided to take an intuitive journey. And anybody that knows me knows that anytime I went anywhere in the past, it would be a planned vacation, almost to the point of ridiculousness. Every single moment planned, you know, and mostly planned for me to drink, (laughs) but this time all by myself. I said I really want to find a gift for my youngest daughter. And so I'm going to ask my car, which sounds ridiculous probably to some people, where you know, where should I go? So I took a left out of my uh, condo development and I ended up in Plymouth, New Hampshire. And I went to a diner and I started talking to the girl behind the counter and she I told her my daughter likes uh stones you know and she likes uh, all kinds of witchy things of that nature do you know some kind of uh mystical store that i might go to and she goes yeah let me get let me get nadia out of the kitchen so she went back and got nadia and she comes out and she's like you know where you need to go you need to go to littleton it's about an hour up the mountain but it's worth the drive so i got in my car because of a stranger's recommendation and i drove up a mountain. Now, let me remind you, I live in Florida, which is flat, 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 like a pancake. (laughs) So I'm driving up this mountain, and it's an actual giant, huge mountain. I don't know if anyone, if you've been to the White Mountains in New Hampshire, and at one point during the day, I was going downhill, and my foot wasn't on the gas, and I was going 70 miles an hour. Okay. (laughs) So I went to this place I'd never been to, and I got a great gift for my daughter, and then I went back to my little cabin, and the point of the story is that these these are things I never would have done before, and after this trip, I felt so empowered, and I felt like, you know what, I could exist on my own, you know, I returned the rental car, I didn't have to pay anything. I did everything I was supposed to do, like a grown-up, and I was just so proud of myself. You know, integrity is what you do, and nobody is watching. And the last trip, when I was there in 2018, I drank alcohol. I did not get to experience that wonderful feeling when you do something the second time, the right way. And so for me, that was like the biggest takeaway is being able to achieve these benchmarks and these intentions that I set for myself at the beginning and make keeping promises to myself. You know, when I was in active addiction, that was the, the big cycle of go round, of beating myself up. And I'm not on that ride anymore. And <laughs> that was the biggest revelation for me. And also that now I have people and they miss me and they want me to come back and see them again. And I'm not alone anymore. You know, I'm not isolated. I have, you know, people, but I could also be by myself and still be okay with being alone. And that is such a difference from me. Two years ago, uh, June 25th, 2019, my sobriety date coming up so it's just that's what I took away from it it's just such a big difference in who I was back then and who I am now wow you are truly amazing
0: seriously you are such a bright light and your story is so valuable you are a voice that needs to be heard so thank you yeah I'm know that that one fringe festival will not be the only time and i need to make sure that um i see it and maybe sometime when i go to jacksonville to visit my friends maybe i can if you're doing another one but um i'm so so fucking grateful that our paths crossed again this whole experience for me has just been a series of uh, divinely inspired events and this is truly just another one for me so where can people find you And I will be, I'll make sure to put all of your information in my, in the show notes as well.
1: Okay. Well, where I found you is on TikTok, which is where I have a little corner called recover your joy, which was my idea for a podcast. But basically I started it because my tracing trauma blog was, I feel as an entertainer, I always want things to be happy and shiny and, you know, tracing trauma, sometimes talking about trauma all the time can be a bit of a downer. So recover your joy. For me, that means just trying to look around you in your everyday life and discover the little joys that exist around you that you weren't paying attention to before. So recover your joy on TikTok. And then naomibradshaw.com is my website uh, for all of my content. And it's spelled N-A-O-M-E, naomibradshaw.com. (laughs) <laughs> wonderful.
0: Well, thank you so much. I'm so excited to see what what's in store for you ahead, because I know it's going to be really awesome. So keep keep doing what you're doing.
1: Waiting for the time when I can finally see. This is all been wonderful, but now I'm on my way. When I think it's time to leave it all behind. I try to find a way to, but there's nothing I can't say to make it stop.
0: Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you learned something that can help you on your own healing journey. Thanks again to Naomi. See the show notes for ways to connect with her and a link to her blog, as well as additional resources to help you on your own journey, as well as links to my social media. I am at Adult Child Pod on Instagram and TikTok. And please, y'all, I need some more five star ratings on Apple. I currently have 100, and you guys, I know based off my analytics, that there are a lot more than a hundred of you that are regularly listening to this podcast on Apple Podcast. It's seriously so simple. You literally just have to tap your finger. You don't even have to write anything if you don't want to. And don't do it for me. Do it for the struggling adult child out there that hasn't yet found this podcast, because seriously, reviews have a significant impact on people finding the podcast so consider it service work okay so now time for hit a girl up Now, I received so many messages from you congratulating me on the Dr. Drew podcast and asking me how it went. It was so surreal. It was so cool. He was so down to earth and very kind. It's going to be a few weeks until the episode comes out. I'm not sure exactly when, but I will be for sure to let you know as soon as I know. I wanted to share how I ended up getting this awesome opportunity. I think as many of you know, I am a reality TV whore, specifically a Real Housewives and Bravo whore. So about, I guess it was three weeks ago, I was listening to Juicy Scoop a reality TV pop culture podcast hosted by Heather McDonald. She's a comedian. She was on The Chelsea Handler Show. And she had on Dr. Drew, They're good friends. And they were talking about therapeutic boarding schools. I can't specifically remember why they were talking about it. But Heather mentioned that uh, she, a few months ago, had asked her listeners if any of them had been sent to one of those schools and actually <laughs> turned out okay. And she said that she had only heard from one person. So I decided to shoot her a DM telling her that I had just listened to the episode and that I myself had been sent to one of those schools and I told her about my podcast and that I'd love to come on Juicy Scoop to tell my story if she'd have me. Now, I did not expect to receive a response, okay? So she did respond and that was awesome. And she said, you know, I think you'd actually be a better fit for Dr. Drew's podcast. Let me see if I can get you on there. Again, I am not expecting to hear anything. And then two days later, I woke up and I had an email asking me to be a guest on the show. And they said they mostly did it on Zoom, but that for people that were local in the LA area, that they were doing it in person. There was no fucking way that I was gonna miss this opportunity to do it in person. So I drove my ass down from San Francisco and and did it in person and. It was just so awesome. And I really can't express how powerful this whole experience has been. You know, starting a podcast for anyone is great, but it's not like I just created another true crime podcast or another reality TV podcast. And those are all great and all. But, you know, this podcast is the result of years of pain Pain experienced during childhood, the pain of my alcoholism, the pain of codependency hitting an excruciating painful bottom at nine years sober, and then the subsequent transformation that occurred. And it hasn't just been about healing from the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. It has been about how do I live my very best life? How do I take my strengths and use it to my fullest potential? And how do I have the biggest impact to the world around me? So it's just crazy, right? I go from talking to Marvin on the bus to just years later talking to Dr. Drew. And I'm just so grateful. And I just want to thank you all so much. Um, the messages that I receive from you all, the love, the support, it has been truly fucking amazing. This is a topic I am so passionate about, and this is a topic that needs to be talked about more. So let's just keep the good energy going and hope that this podcast continues to grow and reach more people. Give me a fucking five-star rating on Apple. But this has the opportunity to really have a tremendous impact on the world around us, right? Because dysfunctional families fuck shit up. (laughs) And people need to know that. Not just that, but they need to know that healing is possible. So if you have comments, questions, insights, I would love to hear from you. Hit a girl up. You can find ways to contact me in the show notes. I will see you all next week for another fabulous episode. It's going to be super raw. It's going to be super vulnerable. And I'm super excited for y'all to hear it. It's going to be a goodie. I promise.
1: slow now I do let it on.